Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in low-carbon fuels and vehicles. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Philippe Marchand from Total. And we're going to talk about a range of issues, and in particular, Total's projects in the biotechnology sector. Philippe is in charge of those projects, and we're really happy to have him with us today. Welcome, Philippe. Thank you, Tony. Thanks very much for the invitation. Uh, Very glad to be uh, in this podcast. Before we kind of get into some of the questions that I have, and for those listeners around the world who may not be familiar with Total's biotechnology portfolio, can you talk a little bit about Total's activities and investments in this area and uh, what their current status is for, for some of those projects? Total is, a, is an oil and gas company, uh, I think an energy company. And basically, we have been uh, public this year about sort of refocus of our strategy, which is called One Ambition. And this, in this One Ambition, basically, beyond being an energy company for, for, for the future, uh, we also intend to, to have in our portfolio within the next 20 years up to 20% of renewables. And that is quite significant for a, for a major in, in the oil business. Focusing on, on biofuels because um, renewables is a very large topic. It includes power, electricity, solar, you name it. In biofuels, it's not something new for, for Total. I mean, uh, we've been active. Uh, on an industrial basis uh, in this activity since 1993 in France. That's nearly uh, 25 years ago. Basically, at the time, we we built ETBE plants, which were a way to combine refinery cut, uh, butane, with uh, some ethanol, and then produce a biocomponent for gasoline. Obviously, due to our position in Europe, one of the largest uh, refiner and marketer, we are today the largest biofuels distributor in Europe. So that is the, where we are today. As we believe that biofuels is one of the key answers for transport for the future, uh, we have decided to retrofit one of our former oil refinery in the south of France, in, uh, in La Med, and to transform it into a biorefinery. And this biorefinery in 2018 will be producing renewable diesel. So basically, we'll be hydrogenating a range of uh, oils, which can be vegetable oil, uh, residual oils, used cooking oil, all those things that, uh, that are a bit uh, oil-related, and we'll transform that into a renewable diesel. And basically, we'll have also the possibility to produce renewable jet fuel. And we think that one of those answers, coming to the, to the next questions about advanced biofuels, that we will need for the future. So, in essence, what, uh, to, to conclude this first question, I would say that what we are aiming for is to be one of the leaders, if not the leader, in biodiesel and biojet, because we believe those products are necessary um, for the future of uh, renewable transport. As you very well know, large-scale commercialization of advanced biofuels has been slower than um, everyone expected. So in your view, what needs to happen to speed up progress? Is it more funding for R&D? 
Is it uh, better policies? So regulatory certainty, you know, must be must be one of the issues. I mean, it is in in my view. Or is it a combination of those and something else? Indeed, that's the nagging question that everyone's got in mind these days. I think there, there's two points that are very clear to me. One is that we do need a, a very stable regulatory environment. I mean. If you want to invest into any new technology, new innovative technology, as an investor or to convince the potential investors, you need the confidence that basically your whatever still you're going to put in the ground is still going to be profitable in the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. But I mean, you need to recoup your investment. So I think what we've seen in renewables has been the case in solar, it's been the case in renewable electricity, it's been the case with first-generation biofuels, is that if regulation is not stable, it creates a lot of uncertainty to the technology developers, for one, and also to the investors. So that is certainly the first thing that we need, over and above everything else, stable regulatory environment for at least the next 10 years. And then the second point that goes along with that, I mean, we are talking innovation here. We are talking developments that are completely novel. So we get to be patient with the advanced biofuels development. We are talking not only pure technology or pure process. We are talking also new, the new way to transform raw materials when we are talking residual uh, agricultural products, residual forestry products, not mentioning algae, which is certainly for the, the for far, far away in the future, at least for biofuels. You're talking of raw materials that do not have the homogeneity that we have seen with oil, gas, or coal. You're talking of diversity. You're talking of very diverse products that are not uh, as pure as, as oil when it comes uh, of the oil well. On top of that, once you get the raw materials, which again are very diverse depending on the, the area of the world, depending on the way they are produced, cultivated, collected, then you get the technologies. And those technologies, they are very novel. And that, that needs time to be developed as, as any new technology. And finally, there's also new constraints into the picture. I mean, basically, you don't just transform a raw material into a fuel or into a specialty chemical with a novel process. You, you have also to demonstrate that this new product has got some specific performances in areas that we were not very familiar with, like sustainability. Today, you're not talking only of energy content or coal flow properties, things that we were very used to and very comfortable with in the oil and gas industry. Now you're talking of a product that eventually must demonstrate that it is reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions, for instance. So when you take all that into account, novel raw materials, novel processes, novel constraints, then I think at the end of the day, what you need is some patience. You need some time to develop that properly to the level that basically it becomes industrial after all the steps of uh, bench scale, pilot, demonstration, whatever. 
And that takes time. I mean, uh, there's a famous saying in the industry that says that between the first, first of a kind, pre-industrial, pre-commercial level plan, you need more or less 10 years to go to full-scale de- deployment. So in, for some of those uh, advanced biofuels, we are not yet at the level of the first of a kind. We are for some technologies like cellulosic ethanol. Uh, we've had a dozen, half a dozen of plants that have been built in the last uh, two or three years. But then this is only the beginning. And you still have technologies that are at bench scale that are still uh, uh, struggling to, to find their business model and then convince the investors to go for the demonstration level. So stable regulatory environment and patience because development in advanced biofuels will take time. So I want to ask you about the Paris Agreement. Does the Paris Agreement and renewed commitments to fight climate change among many countries, you know, including the U.S., does that help breathe new life and energy into the advanced biofuel space? I think it does to an extent, in the sense that uh, basically the, the Paris Agreement has got an element that we didn't have before, which is that it's basically bottom-up. It's basically for the countries to stand up and propose their uh, commitments to, to reduce the, uh, the effects of climate change, to reduce their emissions. So basically that means that if the action starts at country level, then countries will be able to capitalize on, I would say, their strengths, their strategies, their core strategies, which can be along the availability of renewable materials. Think about Scandinavia with all the forests they have and the fact that we are using less and less paper these days. Think about energy independence, thinking about Brazil when they started their ethanol plant 40 years ago. Think about Indonesia that has decided to go for renewable diesel and renewable jet because they've got the resources in the country to produce these biomaterials rather than rely on crude oil imports. And also think about technology know-how because obviously many countries nowadays have very, a very strong research and development and basically, that's also an opportunity to deploy new technologies, to develop and to deploy new technologies. So I think, in a sense, the, the Paris Agreement is good news for the advanced biofuels. So I want to ask you, you mentioned Biojet. Early last month, the International Civil Aviation Organization agreed, as you know, to a global market-based measure to control and reduce CO2 emissions from flying. So is that more good news? And um, can you talk about how this will impact Total's bio-based jet fuel investments? I think I would say that uh, the Corsia, the the global market-based measures that has been agreed to in the ICAO General Assembly last month, is certainly good news for air transport in the sense that it's a step, a very significant step towards controlling the, the GHG emissions from air transport. So to the point that it paves the way towards a more sustainable air transport, that's good news. Now, the point is that these global, global market-based measures that are known as Corsia nowadays, they are basically relying for the next, I would say, 10, 15 years on carbon compensation, on offsets. And offsets, when you think about offsets, you're thinking about reforestation, clean development mechanism, things like that. And 
definitely uh, going in the direction of compensating for more carbon emissions, definitely. But those are not bio, biofuels. Those are not biojets. And certainly they are much cheaper, I mean, due to the carbon price and due to the price of offset, generally speaking, these days, they are certainly much cheaper than biojet, which in essence is definitely uh, more expensive than fossil jet fuel. There's good reasons for that. I mean, uh, nature has been doing uh, all the activity of transforming biomass into into fossil uh, and fossil resources like oil, coal, gas over millions of years. Nowadays, we humans are trying to transform this biomass into the same sort of energy, liquid type of energy. And of course, we don't do it for free, whereas nature has done it for free. So it's no surprise that biofuels are more expensive than fossil fuels. At the end of the day, biojet will be necessary for, for air transport. But the new agreement uh, at ICAO level is just postponing the horizon at which this biojet will be necessary, I mean, on a big scale. So, obviously, there will be a limit to the use of offsets because those offsets will have to, to pass through the, the criteria of sustainability, and um, I trust the air transport to make sure that uh, the sustainability criteria that they put in place will be severe enough so that the carbon compensation program is, I would say, uh, reasonable, sensible, and recognized as such by uh, the stakeholders. But that's not so much good news for Biojet, at least in terms of deployment at, uh, at a large enough scale. Now, obviously, uh, this agreement that has been uh, struck at ICAO level is basically for international flights, and that's only two-thirds of the emissions of air transport on a worldwide basis. So we still have the domestic flights domestic being national, regional, whatever is not international. And that means that we still have the possibility to work at the local level, what I call the local level, national, regional, uh, to promote the use of biojet. And coming back to what I was saying, rely on the core strengths and strategies of the countries to promote the use of biojet for many different reasons, like energy independence, like availability of raw materials, like availability of technology. And it's no surprise that the first initiatives that you hear about on Biojet are coming from the U.S., which has an enormous resource in biomass, generally speaking, and from Scandinavia, where also there is a large resource of biomass available. And obviously people that think that there is good valorization in transforming these biomass into biofuels. The deployment of Biojet may be a bit slower because of the ICAO agreement, but eventually it will be there, and I'm confident that we'll be able to develop at the local level in the meantime before it is necessary at the international level. So following on that, to go back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, regulatory certainty, and how this fits in, not just with bio-based uh, jet fuels, but also just, you know, advanced biofuels or advanced alternative fuels in general. As you know, the European Commission released its low-emission strategy over the summer. The Commission clearly signaled it was ready to do more to support advanced biofuels, even setting an actual target for them. And they also seem open to phasing out first-generation biofuels. 
Last month, um, and as I'm sure you know, the BioFrontiers project seemed to support that, um, and in their paper called for the Commission to prioritize the support for advanced biofuels. So what's your view on the Commission's strategy, and how should policy be shaped going forward to help better facilitate the large-scale commercialization of advanced biofuels? As I said before, what we need as an industry is basically a stable regulatory framework so that we can invest in confidence. And that's basically the message the whole of the industry, the whole of the bio-industry has been putting to the Commission as part of the preparation of the, the next renewable uh, regulation that should take place uh, after 2020. Now, in terms of how should that regulation be shaped, I think Bearing in mind that we are dealing with, uh, with a technology that is still in development, I mean the advanced biofuels technology or technologies because there's many different technologies or approaches between uh, biochemical, thermochemical, uh, hybrid of the two, many facets in this, uh, in this industry today. Obviously, the fact that there is still a need for research and development means that a strong support is necessary to sort of kickstart the advanced biofuels business because today I think we are really at in infancy of that, uh, of that activity. So mandates is a good idea because at, at a small scale, it sends a very strong signal that basically then there are possibility for the use of the products that will be uh, generated by these uh, innovative technologies. So that, that's quite a good way to convince the investors that are quite risk-adverse today and they were before and they will be tomorrow, I suppose. It's a good way to tell them that basically whoever will be producing advanced biofuel will have a chance to market them properly. Now, again, as I said before, the development of these advanced biofuels, as much as the development of electromobility, by the way, it's going to be a slow process. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, it will take years, if not decades, to completely turn over the, the car pools, the truck pools that we have today that are relying on internal combustion engines. So bearing in mind that these developments will take time, I think we must be very careful about writing off what's been done in the past, be it fossil fuels, be it first-generation biofuels. At the end of the day, we have a fight that is quite significant for the planet against climate change. In this fight, no one must be left behind. All the, the sectors, not only electricity generation, not only industry, not only housing, transport as well, must be contributing, must be decarbonizing. If we want to meet the, the factor four by 2050, we cannot wait until the last minute to benefit from uh, wonderful technologies such as electric vehicles. We need to carry on working, decarbonizing day in, day out, until we have the, the really breakthrough technology that will completely change the game. So basically, my, my message today is to say we should use as much as we can energy efficiency, and God knows that there's been many efforts done, in the car business, in the truck business, in the plane business, energy efficiency to reduce the, the use of fossil fuels. First generation biofuels, when they are demonstrated as being sustainability produced, and we've got the regulation in place 
to demonstrate uh, the sustainability of biofuels, and then advance biofuels as and when we'll be able to deploy them on a larger scale than what we have today, which is very, very small. I think that would be my message to be to be very cautious. It takes time to, to bring changes to heavy industry, and basically that means that we must rely on our forces today and not only uh, wait for the for the future. Uh, I do remember what uh, President Chirac said in uh, in France uh, a few years ago when we were talking about climate change. He said about our planet that uh, the house is burning and we are looking somewhere else. I think that's a very mighty statement that he made. The point is that if the house is burning, you're not going to wait for the for the firefighters to come because they may come too late. You're going to start with your own forces to combat the fire. And even if it's using blankets, if it's using uh, uh, your base, your hose or whatever, you're going to be trying to do something. And I think that's basically what we were doing with energy efficiency to reduce the consumption of the, the all the engines that are relying on internal combustion and also with, with biofuels. And those are good ways to slowly improve the decarbonization until we have all the, the breakthrough technologies that we'll eventually uh, have in the future. Well, I think you're, you're making a, a good point and one that I agree with. And I've always, as long as I've been covering this sector, and especially now that focusing more on low-carbon fuels and vehicles, um, issues, technologies, things like that, you know, there, there are strong proponents that want to, you know, leapfrog us right on, you know, right, you know, right to electric vehicles. And I don't see that... I see that happening, that is going to happen, but I don't see it as a, uh, I, I think it will be slower, and I don't see it as a panacea. But the other thing, um, agreeing with your point, is that I'm not sure that, for example, first-generation biofuels plants can't become more efficient in terms of carbon intensity, and I'm not sure they wouldn't be able to meet sustainability uh, criteria. And, you know, for the internal combustion engine. I'm not sure we're done getting all the efficiency that we can out of the uh, out of the internal combustion engine. You know, isn't it more a matter of you know facilitating those pathways uh, so that those you know those pieces become more efficient? Meanwhile, the technology is being developed for, let's say, advanced biofuels, electromobility. You know, you know other connectivity, autonomous driving. These other topics that I'm covering. And, you know, we need to con- consider all and not just one particular solution. How how do you uh, react to that? Would you agree? I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, I think there are tremendous efforts that are put today to develop electromobility, for instance, and that that's good news. We still need to see some breakthrough in uh, in the battery, the electricity storage, but it will eventually come. I think we we can be convinced of that. The point is that it takes time. The point is that then afterwards you got billions of cars that have to be replaced, and that doesn't come right away. Whereas we already have in place the technological skills, as you said, to improve the efficiency of the plants, to make sure that the biofuels are produced sustainably. And I think if you are looking at Brazil today, no one would argue that the ethanol is not produced sustainably in Brazil. When you see the small part 
of the agricultural land that is used for sugarcane production compared to all the land that is used for cattle ranching, for instance. So I think we can be convinced that biofuels, even what's called first-generation biofuels, can be produced sustainably. And therefore, let the, the developers of electric vehicles work with all the support they need to get those breakthroughs and bring these technologies as soon as we can, but knowing that it will take quite some time. And then on the other hand, let the people that have the technological skills to develop energy efficiency, to develop the, the sustainability performance, to develop the efficiency of the plants that are transforming the biomass into biofuels or biospecialties, by the way, let them work, let them be supported so that eventually they can, as, as I said before, play their role into the decarbonization of transport so that we don't end up with transport being left behind compared with the other sectors like electricity production nowadays, which is certainly relying much more on uh, renewables than on fossil, on fossil fuels. And I mean, that's, I think, uh, uh, last year was the first year when we saw the investment in renewable electricity be more significant than the investment in fossil-based uh, electricity generation. And that's good news. But that means because this, it can be done because those technologies are more mature. Now, the maturity in, uh, in mobility, in transport, is not at the level of the maturity that we enjoy in electricity generation. Therefore, we should do our utmost to refine to, to, to the maximum what we have today in stock, which is the internal combustion engine running on liquid fuels, fossil and bio. And then, on, uh, in parallel to that, develop the, all the breakthrough technologies that will be needed to go to a further level of decarbonization. So let me ask you one last question before we conclude the podcast, and it concerns electromobility, but more on the policy side. So there is that there does seem to be, and I've asked others about this as well, there does seem to be a concerted effort to advocate for and push for, and in some cases very passionately, for zero emission vehicle standards. So, uh, and there are some jurisdictions that are beginning to set those kinds of policies. Uh, you know, Quebec being uh, the, the latest um, this week, having uh, enacted uh, legislation to require zero emission vehicles in their uh, province. So, does that trend concern you, at least on in, in terms of what Total is doing on the advanced biofuel side? I mean, there's definitely a role for, for advanced uh, biofuels, for electric mobility, all of the, the things that we've just been talking about. Uh, but the question is, is, you know, is the policy going to agree, agree with that? So what's, what's your reaction to that? I think uh, one should always accept the fact that the world is changing. It's a constant. I mean, in the 19th century, uh, we moved from wood to, uh, to coal. We move from horses to uh, vehicles, uh, automotives, and it's certainly been challenging at the time. Now, I think there is a view that electricity may be the energy of the 21st century because it can be produced sustainably from 
truly renewable resources like solar, like wind, like uh, waves. Uh, and that means that there's obviously an enormous hope that our world will become electrified for most of the, the activities that we have, that we, that we use, that we need, and that includes transport. So that means that when, when Total says that within the next 20 years, we want to have 20% 20, 20 renewable in our portfolio of activity, we are not necessarily talking of 20% of, of fuels. What we are saying is that we, we believe that within these 20% of renewables, there will be a fair amount of electricity. Electricity as an enabler for transport, for industry, for human activity, generally speaking. So that means that as a large integrated energy company, we will adapt to the change of the, the way we, we live as humans. It's, it's natural and it's what we have to do. Now, if you ask me at what pace it will happen, that I don't know. I mean, we, we never know when the, the breakthrough come in play. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 years from now. We know that today one of the biggest hurdles in electromobility is the storage of electricity. As much as for electricity generation, it's the fact that the production is intermittent. You don't have wind all the time. You don't have sunshine all the time. And the challenge is the same. It's basically how to store electricity, either to make sure that you get the autonomy, and that's for transport, the autonomy that you enjoy with high-density liquid fuels, and for electricity generation, how you deal with nighttime, how you deal with days without wind. I think we don't know when we will have a competitive answer to that. And until that time, we will have to rely on the energy that we've been using now for more than 100 years. That means that we still have quite a ways to go before we can say we are done with the liquid fuels and now we are in the world of electricity. As I said, we are dealing with a transition and we need to, to accept the fact that this transition will take time. And this time, we won't just sit on our hands and wait for things to come. We will carry on improving and basically refining what we've been doing for so many years. So I think it's not, it's not a contradiction. It's an evolution that we, we're going to have and we have to live with, which is natural in uh, human history. And uh, it's been true every, every period of, of humanity, of mankind. And I think uh, we will adapt to that. That's basically the essence of, uh, of the industry, is to adapt to change and from time to time to also promote change when, as and when we've got the, the possibilities to innovate. And innovation is also part of our uh, DNA. All right. Uh, we'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Philippe for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure to, uh, to talk with you. And I appreciate your time, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. Please do us a favor before you go today, will you? Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking in iTunes and keeping this show visible so that other people can discover it and hopefully benefit from it. 
thanks ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on low-carbon fuels and vehicles issues, sign up for my free weekly newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.